The kingdom of Tonga is basically paradise. Pristine waters lap against volcanic cliffs. The trees are thick and lush, occasionally dropping coconuts onto the soft sand. But it's hard to keep the place looking like this. What we're seeing is a huge increase of waste that's being generated from residential households. As consumption increases, of course, that means more waste. Most of the stuff people use and need in Tonga is imported, especially the bigger goods like TVs, fridges and cars. And it's expensive to ship things to and from the island country. So what happens to all that stuff once it's used and broken? How is it dealt with? Over the last 20 years or so, Tonga has made massive improvements to the way it handles day-to-day waste. But Tonga's main island, Tongatapu, has a really limited land area to store that waste. And building up in the middle of the island is an even bigger problem. A car-sized problem. Hey, this is Pacific Scientific, a series about scientists working across the Pacific. From reefs to rainforests, iconic plantations to isolated islands, and from thriving waterways to car wastelands. I'm Patria Ladgrove, and this time, a trip through Tonga's waste handling system, and what the country can do with the thousands of cars that are imported every year, and that never leave. It's peak hour in Tonga's capital city, Nuku'alofa, and the wide roads are jammed with cars. Many of the cars have seen better days, with cracked windows and fading paint. And that's because getting vehicles to Tonga isn't all that easy. They have to come by sea, so once they're here, they're used for a long time. Petrol, poultry and cars are three of Tonga's biggest imports, but unlike petrol and poultry, when cars finally break down for good, they leave behind rusted metal. And that metal is big and bulky and is expensive to export again. So it just sort of piles up. And I mean that quite literally. I'm here in Tonga because I've heard of a giant car graveyard where cars are stacked high above the palm trees and stretch away as far as you can see. There's an estimated 30,000 dead cars hidden in the environment in Tonga. For a population of just over 100,000, that means there's one hidden scrap car for every three people. And that's just the start. I'm off to meet a group of people who say they can take me to the final resting place of many more cars. The short time I've been in Tonga, I've seen cars on the road in various states of disrepair. I've been mostly getting around via Tonga's taxi fleet, which, it has to be said, has seen better days, but are kept going by the skill and ingenuity of the drivers. On one journey, I can hear the car rattling before I see it, and as it comes into view, I see that its visor is dangling in the front window. When I try the passenger door, it doesn't open. So my taxi driver has to hold a button and a screwdriver in just the right place so I can open it and get in. The age of many of the cars on Tonga is palpable. But right now, I'm getting in a much newer car. Belonging to Tonga's Department of Environment. I think to myself, while it'll be many years before this car is junked, Unless the car problem is solved, 
it too will be yet another useless pile of metal among tens of thousands before it. We're driving down a dirt road lined with beautiful palm trees and taro plants. But as we turn the corner, the view changes. Wow, so we've just arrived and there are piles of cars. They're up so high and there's green growing all over them and a few roosters too. It's pretty spectacular, really. The rows of rusty and gutted cars are spread out across the paddock like a maze. So right now we've got a beautiful paddock on one side with beautiful tropical leaves and large trees, a coconut tree right here. But then in front of us, we have one, two, three, four, five, five cars up. It's probably, what, six metres up. <laughs> yeah. Um, all different colours, rust, paint, no tyres, uh, just things hanging everywhere. It's a bit apocalyptic, isn't it? Yes. Our guide to the zigzagging mass of cars is Simone Vuki. Malo Lili. Simone owns the eight acres of land that has been one of the country's main car dumping grounds for years. And um, this is just one row. Now, if I come down here, the row goes as far as I can see, and there's many more rows. One, two, three up there, four, five, six, seven. 2,000 <laughs> sitting there on the other side. So... Uh, we have eight acres of land. We are almost filling up the place. It's an amazing contrast between industrial wasteland and paradise. On one side, there are cars piled high and slowly rusting to dust. Roosters dart out from behind car doors and in the distance, a group of men help shift a car that's just arrived. Beyond the border of the wrecked cars is a green paddock filled with taro plants. Tall coconut trees sway side to side, occasionally dropping coconuts to the ground. And as we walk around, Simone cracks one open for us to sip on. Oh, ladies, I have some fresh coconuts there for you uh, for your refreshment. Oh, well, that sounds uh, nice. Yes, maybe it's affected a little bit by the scrap vehicles, but it's still fresh. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. no! 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 I'd love to grow some. Um, uh, crops here, but yeah, I would rather do this than, uh, than let all these uh, uh, scrap metal uh, stay with the people at their homes. Over the years, Simone grew frustrated with the government's lack of action in creating an official site for car waste. So, in 2020, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He began looking at the problem of dumped cars as a way to advocate for better recycling in the country and started actively collecting scrap cars from around the island. Well, these are vehicles coming from, especially from Japan, uh, mostly uh, second-hand vehicles. Some cars can run for five years, maybe up to ten, and then no longer running and then see the uh, homes and um, rot there. So um, our mission is try to remove it from the homes and bring it to one place. Not only does Tonga have to worry about the more than 30,000 cars already in the environment, but the estimated tens of thousands more that will follow in the years ahead. Simone has started the Tongan Recycling Association, an organisation made up of individuals and private companies who support reducing, reusing and recycling waste in Tonga. 
The organisation wants recycling to be thought about from the moment things are imported, so it doesn't get stuck and pile up. Where we want every project here in Tonga to have a, a recycling component, where at the end of the project, they have to ship out all those materials they send to Tonga. It's an admirable task, and Simone is doing what he can to help. It's a massive job, too big for one person. But Tonga has been here before and has triumphed. 20 years ago in Tonga, the rubbish was piling up in the streets and often being burnt or left on the ground. Before, we, there were only a dump site, only in ways that blown all over the, the sites and out into the sea. This is Filimone Lapao, or Mone as he likes to be called. Uh, my name is Filimone Lapao. I uh, worked for the Department of Environment. Mone grew up by the ocean in Lotahapa village. He remembers a quaint rural community, made up of simple houses and a village church surrounded by small taro and veggie farms. When he was a kid, not only did the job of waste management not exist, there was no waste system. I grew up in uh, by village, and it's six to seven miles, I think, from the capital, Nukalofa, and was regarded as a rural area. Tonga's small economy meant that there wasn't enough money to fund much infrastructure. I recall in those times, late 80s to the 90s, back then there were less vehicles, less developed building. The way of living was hard and difficult. And in the 80s and 90s, Monet says, for the most part, the environment was still relatively clean. There's not much plastic there then, and the foreign materials, including less end-of-life vehicles. But then Tonga started to change. As household consumption continued to rise, so too did household waste. By looking back at the 80s and 90s and comparing the environment to these days, saw a very big difference, especially in vegetation, different types of waste. Rubbish was piling up. Because there were no dumps, piles of trash would build up next to villages and roadsides became dotted with fires as people burnt their rubbish. Monet is a shy man, not used to taking up the limelight, but he's agreed to talk to me today because he's passionate about his job and the changes he's seen and made. I never cared for the environment before I graduated from university uh, and started working. Monet finished university and went on to be a group leader at a community project on an outer island of Tonga. And it was there that he first dived into environmental programs. There was another uh, island. Uh, it's a village uh, in, in the second largest island to the main island called Leimatua. Then I started involving some community-based projects of cleaning up abandoned homes, participating in establishing a community waste uh, collection uh, system. To combat the problem, the government introduced the country's first Waste Management Act. And in 2005, Tongans began waking up to the weekly collection of their rubbish. That gave households an alternative to having to deal with the rubbish by themselves. And instead of burning it or letting it flush into the sea, 
trucks took it to the country's first landfill on the main island of Tongatapu. Monet says there are still challenges to overcome, but little by little, it's slowly working. I think uh, the past 20 years compared to, to now, it's things, everything's uh, a changes. A little, a bit by bit, I think uh, people uh, started to collect their waste and uh, leave it to the collection time. So with a mix of both a carrot and a stick, Tonga is turning its household waste problem around by giving people a more environmentally friendly way to dispose of rubbish. But challenges remain, like the never-ending and growing piles of waste and less and less free land. So I was keen to see how they're managing it. Almost in the dead centre of Tongatapu is Tafua Landfill. This is the country's only landfill site and is where mountains of household waste is transferred weekly. I'm here to see where the island's waste ends up and how they're managing it. My name is Stalin. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just not the dictator. <laughs> Good, Phil. <few. laughs> Hi, thanks for meeting me, Stalin. Stalin Naofahu is head of special projects at Waste Authority Limited and greets me with a huge smile. He's standing in front of a pit in the ground, the size of a soccer field, and it's filled with trash. Just behind him, I see a truck dumping more rubbish onto the pile and a clawed machine spreading it out. So what, what we're seeing is a huge increase of waste that's being generated from residential households. As consumption increases, of course, that means more waste. The rubbish goes into this pit, which is called a cell. And there are five other cells in the landfill waiting to be filled up. So once we finish with one cell, we roll over to the next one. And originally when this was built, it was planned that each cell will last 10 years each, at least. But so far with cell number two, it's only been six years. And look, look for yourself, it's overflowing at this stage. As Tonga imports more goods, it creates more waste. And Stalin worries that sites like this one won't be able to keep up with the current rate of consumption. So one uh, indicator that we do use is we also do track the amount of imports coming in because it's almost a guarantee that everything that's being imported into the country will become waste eventually. And we would, of course, be managing that. So you're looking at six years' worth of waste just in this cell. As we walk around the site talking about waste streams and ways to manage it, I realise that something at this tip is missing. There's all the usual sort of things you'd imagine, like tonnes of plastics and other household stuff, but there's no smell. Stalin is more than happy to explain. Unlike overseas, where you would find a lot of uh, household food waste, that's not the case here, which, is, which explains the lack of birds and flies that you would find in most other landfills. And the reason for that is more cultural, because uh, people here in Tonga tend to feed all their leftovers to their animals, their pigs, their, their dogs and stuff. It's more of a cultural thing. Yeah, that is really interesting. There's not, I've noticed a few insects around, but no flies. Yes, not, not, not to the point where it looks, it, it's extreme, right? Yeah. yeah. And it actually doesn't smell at this, all. That is actually the number one comment we get from people visiting the landfill, is that, where's the smell? Like, it, it's completely unexpected for them. 
they say, you know what? I'll be honest. I was expecting it to stink to high heaven, <laughs> but that's not, of course, not the case. Yeah, you don't yeah. smell anything. Yeah. The, the reason for the lack of smell is because we actually have a drainage system underneath these w wastes. So what usually would cause a smell is liquids. And because all liquids are being drained underwater into a piping system, it goes to be treated from the water treatment facility, leachate. Yes, so that explains, that's actually why we're lacking smell. It's pretty amazing, a landfill that doesn't smell. Tonga has a small population working on a huge waste problem, but their hard work and dedication have brought about incredible waste removal innovations. And when Stalin talks about his passion for waste management and cleaning up the land, I can hear in his voice his drive to make a difference. He tells me he grew up in a village called Havelu. His father ran a successful fuel supply business and his family were known for their generosity towards others, including funding community beautification projects. Stalin says this taught him about giving back to people and the environment. I've always been passionate. My main passion was in recycling. Um, as, as a child, I was always involved in uh, community events. We sometimes, uh, some, some villages would have once a month cleanup of their towns and such and my parents would always involve me in those activities. And we kind of have a green economy at our home, hoping, hoping we could expand that to many other homes. But tragedy struck his idyllic childhood when Stalin was in year four. While on a business trip, his father suffered a stroke and passed away. And soon afterwards, his family lost their business and found themselves in poverty. But despite the change in fortune, he kept hold of the values his father had taught him of giving back and the responsibility to give future generations a world worth living in. Stalin believes this responsibility extends to the natural environment. 20 years ago, we had a makeshift landfill. It wasn't a proper landfill. It was in the Popua village. Now, Popua village is right next to the ocean. So imagine there's the ocean, there's a small road in between, and right next to that is the piles of waste. That's, that, that was the picture back then. Everything was just um, out of sight, out of mind. But Tonga's waste management system has made a real visible difference to the landscape. You know, here at Waste Authority, we tend to think that waste is everyone's business. So we try to involve everyone to take more personal responsibility in their waste. Well, as you can see when you came, came to Tonga, how clean everything looks. It wasn't really like that before. I'm walking around the landfill and the air is filled with the low hum of machinery making its way across the rubbish pile. And my mind turns to the giant piles of cars in the graveyard and the thousands more that are dotted around the island. I'd seen even more dead cars on the way to the tip, with windscreens missing and plants and vines growing from the roadside and onto the cars, claiming them as their own. It's something that Stalin has been thinking a lot about recently too. And the issue with abandoned cars is, it's, I call it a silent issue because you don't really see it, but it's there. So far there, there are an estimated 30,000 vehicles, scrap vehicles hidden around in the environment here in Tonga. So we generally, the approach of the public is if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. When I was at the car graveyard, it struck me that unless something is done, the dead car problem will just keep growing. 
cars stacked upon cars, some in the graveyard, others just in the jungle. It's kind of segregated. You will find patches of them in different villages, in different places, and there are a few locations where they are piled up, but it's not going anywhere. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to come in and process all these vehicles, collect and process them. So over uh, there, it's estimated that at least 2,000 new scrap vehicles are introduced to the population every year. That is, let's suppose, vehicles imported 10 to 15 years ago. By this year, they would be going out of, um, they would be reaching the end of their life cycle. At the moment, Tonga doesn't have a government site or facility where old cars can be dumped and processed. So to try and combat the importation of old vehicles, they are introducing a policy that prohibits people from importing cars that are 15 years or older. This will mean that the fleet is newer and thus lasts for longer before breaking down for good. But it's a policy that has faced backlash from the public, who worry that it'll make buying a car way more expensive. But Stalin says if a car sits around, slowly decaying, it's still hurting the environment. There are concerns regarding the chemicals within the vehicles leaking out into the environment as it rusts over time. Yeah, so um, what, what kind of things could this cause? Uh, so there are, so there's underground water as you're, as you're aware. So that the main concern is uh, leachate from the vehicles leaking into and affecting underground water systems. Because in Tonga, when it rains, it pours. For six months of the year, the country is in its rainy season. The air is hot and sticky with humidity and the land gets soaked to the bone. And as the rain falls, it gathers the rust, the chemicals from the flaking paint and oil residue and seeps with it down into the earth, forming a sort of underground chemical soup. It can contaminate people's drinking water, making them sick, and there's an urgency in Stalin's voice when he talks about his concerns. So we have to move now. It's, it's more important that we do get this out of the way as soon as we can. Working a way towards a solution means thinking about car waste differently than Tonga has in the past and looking at getting cars off the country's islands. Stalin is excited about a collaboration with Japan that aims to do just this. We do rely on a lot of project fundings from overseas because we don't have the financial capacity for a lot of the infrastructure that we need to, in order to uh, run waste management here in Tonga. So where I come in is basically applying for all these uh, donor funding, which includes one from Japan for a scrap vehicle recycling centre that would be launching in by September, hopefully. Japan has offered Tonga millions of panga worth of waste management assistance in the form of compactors, forklifts and storage for scrap cars. The compactor in particular is a huge win because if the thousands of scrap cars are ever going to be removed off of Tonga's islands, the easiest way to do that is if they are very, very small. For this to work, petrol, oil and other parts of the car need to be removed. Once stripped down, a compactor machine would then crush the car carcasses into neat one metre by one metre cubes. The plan 
is to then export the compacted cars to Japan. We are going to hire 53 personnel for the operation. There will be those going out into the field collecting waste. Stalin's new team will travel around the country looking for the scrap vehicles and getting permission from the owners to include them in the recycling operation. This includes going to places, households, for example, where there's scrap vehicles there and getting permission from them, consent that once, so that once the operation runs, we can just uh, roll out and we know exactly where to go to get, uh, collect these scrap vehicles from. Those left out in the environment is under our mandate, so we can just go there for free, like uh, just collect it. With less cars littered around the islands, and with new mandates on vehicle ages, the hope is that Tonga's car graveyards will start to thin out, freeing up valuable space in Tonga and helping to clean up the landscape. Now that I've seen the thousands of cars in the graveyard, it looks like a huge task for Monet, Stalin and Simone in their attempt to get it removed off the island. But there's hope. With so much change happening in the last 20 years with small waste, they believe action for bigger waste can happen soon. Stalin is especially optimistic about the next steps given how far the country has come. In just a few months, Tonga will be able to start rolling out its new car recycling program, not only on the main islands of Tongatapu, but in the outer islands as well. When waste management launched here in, in uh we never imagined that we would be able to provide this service. Um, so we're hoping what the um, other Pacific countries can learn from is that you don't have to wait for help to come before you start taking initiative. Across the world, we throw away rubbish, replace our household items and upgrade our cars, sometimes without much thought about where this waste ends up. But in Tonga, the lack of resources and space to deal with trash makes the reality hard to ignore. But the country has undergone an enormous shift in the last 20 years when it comes to household waste and learnt valuable lessons along the way. Lessons that will come in handy as it tackles the mounting issue of car waste. Just do something about it. The help will come eventually. And that's what we've learned over time. As when we launched waste management in Wavao, for example, we went in kind of blindly, not knowing if it would succeed or not. But as soon as we decided to take that step and actually form a, a national body, extend, expand our national body there, the help started pouring in. We had consultants coming over. We had donors supplying waste collection trucks. It's, it's really just about being proactive. Having seen the changes that Tonga has made, Stalin's optimistic about what's to come. And I'm not basing this out of wishful thinking. I'm basing this off facts. It's, looking at 20 years ago to where we are today. 20 years ago where people were dumping their waste in their backyards, burning it in their uh, bush allotments, in their own agricultural allotments, to where we are today. It's from that improvement, you can kind of get a good projection of what we, where we will be in the next 20 years from now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.